calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Shannon do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. But if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, here we are, everybody. Fired up! Fired up. Okay, calm down. Calm down. Whoa, we just started. Stop throwing your frillies on the stage. Oh my gosh, they are like completely shameless. Shameless. (laughs) Well, they must have heard about our incredible guest today. Bill, your guest from. The, rant, the screenwriter's rant room, and also a screenwriter, and just an amazing individual. Can't wait to bring him on a little bit later. But first, honey, unless you and I have a little bit of, you know, chit-chat, you know what we do about this time. Indeed, I do. What's going on? We are uh, having a quiet uh, Labor Day <laughs> because we're going to be having a busy, busy week on our way to yeah. the Bradbury Center in Indianapolis. Tell them about that because that's what we'll be when this airs. Well, let's say that for a couple of years, my buddy Charles Johnson wrote Middle Passage and I have been trying to figure out how to get together to do a tribute to Ray Bradbury and the Ray Bradbury Center in Indianapolis has been trying to get us out there and just the the time and the intention and the resources simply finally lined up so that we're going out there this weekend. And before I get there, 
I have to, you know, to to stay, to keep from panicking about projects, there's a certain schedule I have to be on every day. And I can use the fear to motivate me as long as I'm close enough to the goal that it doesn't become panic, which kind of can kind of put the brakes on and stop you having access to your creativity. So the Star Wars novel, which is due January the 1st, I should have a dirty draft of that by the end of the week before I go to Indianapolis. It'll be about 130 pages long and just garbage. But the basic beats are there and some dialogue and some character things. At that point, all I'll have to do is spend a couple hours every day. Let's say I give myself, I'm going to go over 25 pages of that a day. And I just make the corrections that I can see, what we call the low-hanging fruit. Yes. And I don't try to fix the big problems. There are, there are some big problems. There's some things that don't quite fit yet. But what I've noticed is that if you take care of the small problems and you keep doing that every day and you trust, and, and that trust comes from understanding the hero's journey. You know, the, you go through the dark night of the soul in every project. There is no such thing as a project where I don't get a point where it feels like it's turning into puree of bad shit that I ha- that I can't do it. I've lost it. The only reason I had a career is because of affirmative action. Oh I mean, that, that stuff goes through my head every single time. Hardly. <laughs> the only difference is I now recognize those voices. Well, so, there is a delicate dance between well, yeah, the yeah. motivational power of the deadline, which, trust yeah. me, as a newspaper reporter for 10 years back in the day, I speak the motivational power of the deadline. Yes. But then it can veer, like you said, into panic. Well, and this is where ultimately when we talk about uh, the minimum buy-in for our writing system is uh, writing one sentence a day. If you will promise yourself to write one sentence a day, you can get there because Anybody can write one sentence a day. If you're a writer at all, you can write one sentence a day. No, I don't care what's going on that day. You can find the time to write one sentence. And if you don't do it, then you know that it's not a matter of logistics. It's a matter of your emotions. Your emotions are screwing you up. And that allows you to say, I need to deal with my emotions. I need to deal with my fear. You go into therapy or or you do you do journaling or meditation or you talk it out with your friends, whatever it is that you do. But it's important to me to have the basic work I need to do every day. It's such a small level. The basic work, you know, if I get that done, then the rest of it is play. And if I say all I have to do is is write one sentence, the rest of it is play. So there's that and there's working on a couple of other projects. And all that stuff has to be at a certain level before we take off. What are you up to this week? I turned in a comic outline, actually a revision. Revision is my Achilles heel. (laughs) Okay, I'm so good out the gate. And it's incorporating the notes and, you know, having that same enthusiasm for the revised version as for the original. And so I'm pretty happy with the way that revision went is for a comic outline. And then you and I have to start thinking about uh, a comic that we're going to do. We can't, I don't think we can talk about it yet, but it's a a short comic we're going to do together. Um, And you know what I'm doing today on Labor Day? What? Absolutely nothing. So, oh, I know. I'm going to be watching horror movies. That's what I'm going to be doing because that's what I'm always doing. Anyway, I want to bring on our guest. Sure, absolutely. Because this is such a a thrill for me. Uh, I love Hilliard Guess's podcast, The Screenwriter's Rant Room. Not only am I insanely jealous of that cool 
rap R&B theme song <laughs> that he has, but it is in depth. I mean, one example, we had Nicole Levy who wrote the Writer's Room Survival Guide on our podcast for like, what, 45, 50 minutes. He had her on for three hours. <laughs> It was like, it was like a episodic, like television. I had to binge that episode <laughs> day after day, but so much granular detail for screenwriters, whether you're brand new and you just want to learn about the industry, or you've already been working in the industry for a while, just to commiserate with fellow screenwriters about the issues you face. Love that. But I mean, besides that, oh yeah, he's also a screenwriter and a producer and a director, a former actor. He grew up in the Bay Area back in the 70s and 80s in a very dangerous neighborhood, has since become a writer-producer who has written for such shows as the the Russo Brothers sci-fi series Deadly Class, EP showrunner of the digital series Ticker, which won Best Series at the 2021 World International Film Festival. That's amazing. So he's produced over two dozen pilots, film shorts, digital series, and we're going to be speaking to him partially as someone in the WGA. He is the co-chair of the Committee of Black Writers, co-penned the viral letter Dear Hollywood back in 2020, co-chair of the Education Committee. I'm all about that. Also a member of the LGBTQ+, Latinx and Genre Committees. What more can I say about our amazing guest, Hilliard Guess? All that. What's up, what's up, what's up? And a bag of chips. And you're coming to spend time with Whittle Us. I mean, I'm just I'm just really so excited to have you here. Big bro, big sis. You know, we gotta respect y'all. So (laughs) we're trying to do our little thing. You know, our our we really do focus because I'm a prose writer who came in from the outside. Steve has been working in Hollywood for a long time. But just to take those lessons, I like to say I like to take the lessons I learned today and pass them on either later today or tomorrow, because not everybody has 25 years to figure this out. I certainly not, not only that, sweetheart, but when you, you don't know that you know something until you can teach it in, in, in a very real way, or at least that's one of the best ways. And all the masters that I know are always learning, they're always doing, and they're always teaching. Yeah. Like they're, they're, it, that is the, it, it's that, that's the path. So what we're talking about here is how do you do this path? How do you walk this path in integrity with your heart? succeeding and taking care of yourself so it doesn't doesn't destroy your body or destroy your 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 heart how do you keep your enthusiasm so and, and, you know that's one, one of the things that i'm gonna be asking hilliard later is i'll never tell you stay sane <laughs> yes of course that's the part so have that queued up like what's your process for staying centered and balanced i mean these are very uncertain times and i'd like to take it to since it's labor day at least for us mm-hmm. the wga strike because oh. this has been an extraordinary moment i i just listened to the message the labor day message from chris kaiser on the negotiating oh, committee to it, i forgot Yes. Yeah. And there was this line. He talked about how this industry has given us the awful gift of endurance, which is mm-hmm. like, oh, doesn't that sum it up? It's mm-hmm. awful. But yeah. it's a gift when you're on strike. You know, just to I, you're deeper into the WGA than 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 we are. I just did my, my first room right before the strike. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to sort of Hilliard have you break down how you're feeling right now about where we are a hundred plus days in with SAG joining in. It's a it's a historic moment for labor. And it feels like it ought to be breaking any second 
from a logic standpoint, but I feel like we're up against forces other than logic. And I wanted to, to get your perspective on that. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. You two are two icons in my view, you know, that I look up to, that I admire, that I aspire to be. And you remember I used to have Lisa Bolacaja on the show back yes. in the <clears throat> And she, I can't tell you how many episodes when she was back on the show that she would talk about either one of you at some point. Great. <laughs> Great. You know, we love her. All too. you can do, all you can do is hope that you're doing work that's honest and you know, successful. Of course, you have to take care of your family and you want to believe you're reaching an audience. But when our peers feel that we have been walking with integrity, that means the world to me. I mean, I really want to kind of turn this over to you and, and, and get your get your history, how you got started, what you think is going on in this moment, and just I want to hear your voice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So to answer your question, what's we're in a fascinating time. You know, I was around at 2007 also. I wasn't, I just came in the guild like right after that. But I was out there striking like all the other pre-WGA people at the time. <clears throat> and what happened was, so here we are now. The climate is very different. So here's an example. I was speaking at the Latinx, big Latinx event we had at Warner Brothers like two weeks ago. <clears throat> and I was just winging it, just talking about, you know, what's going on. And I paused and I looked around at the crowd and I went, oh, and I went, you guys know what's different today than it was in 2007? I said, first of all, it was not, can I curse on here? Yes. Okay, I'm going to be myself then. Yes. <laughs> Please. I said, it was quiet than a motherfucker out here in 2007. <laughs> first of all, you know why? Because it wasn't hardly anybody who looked like us out here. I said, all this stuff that's going on with these themes and the Beyonce days and the, you know, the Star Trek days. <laughs> coming up with that shit. That's us. It was not, you know, Steve, it was not like that back in the day. You know, and, and, and can I just tell you real quickly, Hilliard, even people who aren't in Hollywood are noticing the vibe because mm -hmm. when I post on Instagram how Steve and I are at the neutral gate at Universal, which is kind of a quiet assignment, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my sister's like, why aren't you striking with the Blacks? Like, <laughs> look, look at the, the, the line dance. Look at the, the step shows. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, well, there's, there's something else that's going on right now that I just wanted to think about. That there's been a lot of pushback against unions across the board about against collectivism, trying to demonize collectivism as communism. You know, when it's not even really even socialism, and that these issues, I'm noticing other unions across the country are starting to act up. They're starting to push back. You're hearing a lot about this. I'm kind of thinking it would be nice. Seems if like all push, of them. <laughs> if the pendulum <laughs> might be swinging back the yeah, other way, yeah, yeah. which would be good. Questions along uh, about artificial intelligence will impact questions about universal basic income and, you know, and, and universal health care. And, you know, what do we do and, and what are we? And I think that it could, wouldn't it be wonderful if the dreamers were leading the way that that our struggle with the studios is inspiring other people to ask? I think it is. Yes, I, I agree. If Remember, we wonderful. are the face. We are the face of it. A lot of these, unless you are the type of union that affects society, then you're not making the news as much. Right. We, we change. Imagine a world without movies and television. 
Right. right? So there's, and a lot of us are stars and celebrities. <clears throat> so we immediately affect what's happening. So we are in the forefront and we are telling everybody, come out with us, you know, if you believe in this. And they're going, you know what? We need to stand. Forget it. Now the hotels are out there. Now That's the right. labor is out there. Now the truck guys are out there. You know what I mean? Everybody is jumping well, in. The, on the executives would love to be able to push a button and create scripts. I mean, I can even under, I can even empathize uh -huh. with that. But I think the ordinary people who are not in the creative arts are seeing how they're next. They're seeing the, the, the self-checkout. You know, they're seeing McDonald's with no employees and you know, hamburgers being made automatically. They're, yeah. they're seeing Ubers, self-driving Ubers. And they're saying, you know something? The future we talked about isn't someplace distant anymore. It's we're right at the edge of it. And if they can replace creative people, they can create, they can replace any of us. For sure. And I, I think that it, wouldn't it just be interesting if we ended up being the spark? We are. That's the way I see it. Yes. You know what I mean? Look at how what we've done has echoed across the globe. You were seeing, you've never in the history that I know of in my almost 53 years, a brother just pretty. But you don't look um, it, baby. You don't look it. <laughs> you know we vampires, girl. Exactly. <laughs> um, but never in my entire life do I ever recall this many people in unions coming together, you know, and striking at the same time or talking about striking or about to strike. Like never that I know. You know, that is, that is beautiful. You know, so yeah. I just wanted to go back on something. The Guild is a fascinating place. Like I tell emerging writers all the time that you have to really get involved as much as you can. <clears throat> and because people always ask me, oh, my God, you're on all these different committees. And, and it's because I wonder if I'm a little bit like the two of you, like whenever I used to be in a writing class or any type of class, I'm the guy sitting in the front row. I'm the guy when they go, hey, who knows? I'm like, like. Yeah. I'm that guy. <clears throat> and here's something I don't know if you guys know. Like, I didn't graduate from high school. I got my GED, but I didn't learn until recently. This is how naive I was. I didn't realize until recently that having my GED actually means that I actually finished high school. Oh, of course. I thought yes, it was something did. way over there no. and that I was lower or lesser then. Mm -mm, honey, I didn't, not that. I didn't, yeah, but I didn't know it until like literally about a month ago. That's how naive I was about it. Wow. And when I discovered it and somebody was like, you know, you graduated, you just didn't walk. I lost it. Mm. But what, what was the emotion? What, what emotions did you go through about that? What happened? Inside? It was because, first of all, as a black gay man growing up in the hood, I grew up in East Palo Alto. Right. I was born in Detroit, lived in Brooklyn, but we grew up since I was seven in the Bay. <clears throat> and I grew up in the neighborhood where the movie Dangerous Minds was, mm. you know. So you can imagine being this little young little, I don't know if you guys saw, saw the movie Dope mm -hmm. um, about the little punk rock kid in Watts. Like that's, that was me. I was the little mod rude boy, you know, kid dressing crazy, riding scooters, listening to Quadrophenia and, you know, all that stuff like that in the neighborhood where it was like the third most dangerous place in America to live. And so coming out of that, I had to become this tough motherfucker, if you will. And and having not finished in school because I was so busy doing musical theater and professional theater in San Francisco and commercials and, you know, I've danced in music videos and traveled the world as a dancer, like all kind of things. So I always felt unworthy, 
I always felt not enough. I've always been the underdog, you know? Mm. So to this day, I write underdog stories in the murder, death, kill world, you know? And that's been my bread and butter. Like anytime it's something about somebody fighting through, trying to overcome, trying to prove that is me, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so my entire life has always made me be the guy that always read more, always listened more, always worked harder, not only as a black man, but as a black gay man and as somebody who I thought didn't graduate from high school. Right. Where everybody else, like you two were like so educated and you've done so many things. Like I've always compared myself to that. So in order to get there, I have to do more. Well, this is just a slight thing. I never graduated college. Okay, I didn't know. I thought you were like this super, you know, professional. Well, and for years, I had an inferiority complex about that. You know, it wasn't until I was invited to be on a panel with nothing but doctors. And I said, why do you want me on that panel? And they said, your life, Steve. You know, the what you've accomplished in terms of your books and television and, and multiple black belts and so forth and so on. We believe that you have been through those gates, that, that the, the, the certificate is, is, is a substitute, a reification of life experience. So what you did not realize is you didn't walk, but you went beyond the level of organization and the capacity to research, the capacity for critical thought and so forth that a high school diploma is supposed to give. You felt bad about yourself because you were out in the real world actually taking the hits. You know, From you, 17 to literally almost 50 to 52. That's I right. That. That's right. You lived with that. Yeah. And so what I want to know, because everybody is dealing, has those voices in their head. Right. What I want to know is on the other side of those voices, how did it feel to put that weight down? You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I told you, I completely lost it. It was literally, I was having a conversation with uh, my producing partner, and I was telling her, so similar to you, so I was invited to speak at the big HBCU event they had like two months ago, whatever it was, and and I was like, why did they want me to speak? Like, I didn't graduate from high school, I didn't whatever, <clears throat> and so this is what happened. I was standing there like a minute or two before I came on, and I started the whole thing. There was a comedian who did her little spill and introduced, introduced me, and then I started the show. And I'm standing there under the tent because it was a hot day and I'm start sweating. And I'm not, I used to be an actor for years since I was 12 to the time I was 32 or something, never get nervous. And I start sweating. And I realize I'm looking around at all these HBCU alphas and people walking by and I'm going, why do they want me to speak it? I didn't go to college. I didn't like, I start all that imposter syndrome starts killing. And I switched this fast. She said, and then next up is Hilliard Guest. You guys know him from the Screenwriters Rant Room, the Writers Guild, and the crowd went bananas. And I went, I snapped out of it. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, like the same feeling you had. Yes. They were like, bro, you're here because you've done all that shit. You are what they wanted to be. Yeah. They see college as a means to that, and that's a perfectly fine path. It gives a tremendous number of values as well as security yeah. and, and social you know, approval. But it's a means to an end. Right. You know, the end is living a, a joyful, supportive, creative life where you're contributing to the world and feeling good about yourself. You found a different way. And in and, many ways, they probably consider you to be braver than they are. Realer in a lot and, of ways. And, and if I can just jump in here for a second, Hilliard, as I'm thinking about you making that speech you made in front of that group of Latinx writers, and you're right, they were not here back in 2007, 2008. <laughs> so many of us, no matter what our education level, are grappling with that same imposter syndrome, specifically in Hollywood. Because it does not feel like this industry was made for us. It wasn't. Right? It was, well, okay, right. It wasn't made for us, and it doesn't feel like it was made for us. Yeah, so yeah. even with all the cumulative writing experience that Steve and I had in, in the most gentle writer's room possible with Brian Fuller right before the strike. Love Brian. Syndrome. Yeah, he's amazing. He's a great he, – I just one of my very favorite human beings. We this, could go off on a just whole – adore him tangent talking about how great Brian is, but even in that most gentle environment, that imposter syndrome, you know, in the back of your head, do I belong here? Do I belong here? And there's so many messages that we don't belong here. So I I just, I just wanted to note that whether it's because of the college you didn't go to, or you went to a college you didn't think was good enough, or you did go to college, but you didn't study screenwriting me, (laughs) you know, there's some reason that we feel like we don't belong. Mm, interesting. You know, and by the time by the time you gain the accomplishments to finally convince you that you belong there, you're old. <laughs> and you know, exactly. now you're feeling like it's the youngsters coming up and now the I still belong here because it's a it's a young man's game. Yeah, what's up with that? The voices never shut up. You simply become used to them. It's like, "Oh, there's that voice again. Screw off." You yes. you it, it, this is just that process, and I think that that when you do that, you gain so much empathy for what human beings go through, and it, it really helps to to deepen your 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 writing. Um, I think that 
this is useful even in even in something like the strike mm-hmm. to understand that the executives are guarding their patch and how they're thinking about this seeing them as human beings allows you to evolve strategies and tactics to get ahead of them and lead them where you want them to go to you know to i think that there's some brilliant you know, I see some Sun Tzu art of war stuff going on. Exactly. You know, I'm just laughing and laughing, watching <laughs> some of this go on. I would love for you to to take this. You know, we're writing a story about the future of Hollywood, we're writing a movie yeah. about the future of Hollywood, and we're so, directing this. How? What is going on? You know. So what, where are we on? now? Where yeah. are we now? If you're not, if you were a prognosticator, where would you say we are now? And and then for people who don't understand, how did we get here? What? How did it get so bad? So so like I said, Steve, I know you've been around for a long time as a writer for television and film. And when I look at it like this, I'd say in the last ten to twelve years, what has shifted is now Hollywood's became tech. Like mm-hmm. most of these companies, like if you think about it. Damn near every single one of the, the the AMPTP, which I freaking hate that they're called AMPTP. As you, I don't know if you guys listened to Strike Talk with Billy Ray, but he's out there. They're literally trying to put out a petition to change the name from AMPTP to like AMPTC with like corporation or something else. Or like, I forget what the other abbreviation is, but it's something where we're getting rid of them called producers because they're not. They don't know what we do on the set. They have no idea. They show up to fucking craft service and stand around by the video village. They don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? They have no idea how we set this up. They have no idea how we wrote it. All they do is give you notes. They don't know why. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we're, so what I've said since probably about March or April on my show, I've said that we are living in a world where Hollywood has become tech. You got to realize that Silicon Valley, as soon as you open up Silicon Valley to come into Hollywood, Silicon Valley is centered around acquiring. It's it's secession. They are keep acquiring. Every single season is about them acquiring some other company. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've mm-hmm. taken that to here. They're trying to acquire all of it so that they own it all and control it all, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Right? Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, they don't care about what we do. All they need is the content. They don't care how they get the content. They just need more of it. And they get more of it. Like you said, the AI of it all, AI can do it fast. Can it do it well? We both know. No, it doesn't understand nuance. You know what I mean? That's the main thing. It could write a script that you could read and be like, I see a couple moments here that could possibly work. But when you sit back and look at it from writer's eyes, you're like, oh, this is a mess. Right. You know what I mean? It's missing this and it's missing that. And I don't have any heart. And whatever the things are that you gravitate to as a writer, it's probably missing elements of that. You know, I've seen pieces of it from people who are like, oh, take a look at these 10 pages from this. Hey, I'm like, I mean, that might work. The dialogue's horrible. Like, I mean, and I'm not trying to be like dogging it. I'm trying to read it like as if some, you know, writer sent me something. But anyway, so my whole thing is we're now in a time when we're up against companies that are here to take you over. They don't see us as anything other. They want to get rid of, you know, having all these big writers rooms. And my friend Mark said to me, he's a big showrunner. He said he thinks we should be mad at our agents for like all these mini rooms and all that. Like they they did the mini room seven, eight years ago as a test. 
Mm. They were testing us to see, does this work, in his opinion. I've, and if you take a step back and watch the process and how it's whittled itself down from, you know, 22 episodes to 18, to 13, to 10, to 8, to 6. Eight. You know what I mean? Yes. You yes. can see, and they keep, the mini rooms keep coming, and they went from 40 weeks to, you know, 32 to, to, to 20 to 10 to sometimes 9. I'm like, how are you going to do a 9 weeks? room and you got to have four scripts ready <laughs> you know what i mean like they have they were figuring this out and the agents and reps in his opinion and a little bit in mine is they saw this coming they didn't care they were like it's a job instead of going wait a minute what does this mean mm. you know and so i don't even know where i was going this is what happened when you ramble a little bit you're <laughs> ranting you're ranting yeah, you know what what I mean? like, <laughs> But you know, I mean, we're we're just in it. We're in a horrible. You're, time. You're saying that they're looking you're looking short term at whether or not you're going to get a check this month rather than long term. Where is this going to lead in three years? Where right. is it going to lead in six years? What is the philosophy of the people who are implementing this strategy? Right. Dude, you have to move backwards from tactics to strategy to philosophy so you can figure out what's coming next. What are these people right. trying to do? And I think you're very right that what they're trying to do is get all the power into their hands so they can control everything. And if they can do that, then they feel safe and they have to feel in danger because of the musical chairs that goes on at the executive level. So everybody's trying to figure out how do I predict success in a business that is essentially chaotic. Is chaotic. I've also suggested two versions of undercover boss. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like let's watch Sorrentos or Iger go into a writer's room, not for 20 weeks, for 40 weeks do the whole process as a staff writer, right? Have to go, you know, have to beat it out, have to go up to the board and pitch it out. They have to do everything, they have to write their outline, they have to write their script, they have to, you know, do their, do their, their, their tech scouting, they have to do everything. And they have to go to post and go, oh shit, I'm not being paid for post, but I'm here, <laughs> I'm rewriting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they need to see the process and the same thing for the feature. You know, somebody needs to go and experience what it's like. For those of us, I do movies and TV and I've had both, you know, uh, successes in both. And and I want to see them experience the same thing as a, as a film writer, turning your script and go through six or seven drafts and not be paid. <laughs> you know what I mean? And be yes. Like, Where's my money? <laughs> you know what I mean? And to experience what it is we do and then be rewritten. You know, and et cetera, et cetera, because they have no clue. That's right. all they keep showing me is they don't know. All they're doing is looking at it from from the glue, they call them the glass towers, as we call it, looking down. They have no idea what's going on. In some ways, doesn't that protect us? I mean, if they don't mm. know what's really going on, if they don't know who we are, but we know who they are, that on a battlefield, that gives us a technical, that gives us a real advantage. Well, speaking but, of that, oh, go on, Hilliard. I was just going to say, but my, I guess my issue with that is, and, and, and I hear you, first of all, I, I get it on both sides. My side of it is, think about it like this. Those writers who came up back in the old days, right, when, like, let's just look at, you know, we've all heard, I'm only saying it because it's public now, we've heard about what, you know, the showrunners were doing on, on, on Lost, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they came up a certain way. 
right? So now they're teaching and believing that that the that the way that they run the rooms is run up under this umbrella that if you don't like something, you get rid of it. If you don't do this, you say, fuck it. If you want to call somebody a queer, you do. If you don't like women and they're pregnant, they can't be in the room. Whatever. Like if you grew up that way, then you're going to believe that. Right. But if you come up in a way where you're a staff writer on the show and you get a Stephen Barnes as your, let's just throw this out as, a, as your co-EP, you're probably the guy who's going to be like, hey, Hilliard, welcome to the show. Like if you need anything, come holler at me. And you'll probably mm-hmm. check in for me with time to time. Right. Like, That's how you do it. When I get a room, I'm going to do like Steven did. You yes. see where I'm going? That's yes, what you're doing is you're, it's you're lineage. Saying, how do, you're saying it's how lineage. do we have peace? How do we evolve right. something that is healthy? You're saying how do we evolve something that's healthier for all of us? And that would be by actually culture. I want to change the culture. Yeah. 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 You know what what's ironic to me, and and is that not every writer could do this, but given the leadership we've seen from the WGA just through this strike, I know for a fact that writers could do these executives' jobs. Uh, or the CEO's <laughs> job. I know yeah, that yeah, for yeah. an absolute fact, uh, much yeah. easier than any of them could do even the simplest staff writer's job, frankly. that's well, my, let, me give, let me give my, you a quick example. Sure. So I don't know if you guys know, but and you might have heard me mention this on the, on the podcast, depending on which one you heard. <clears throat> for the last year, I was the number two with Ben Watkins over at Blue Monday. And I helped staff two shows did all the meetings, worked with eight or seven, eight writers, you know, helped them get their pitches together, you know, for projects we had on our slate. I mean, it was a lot. We had one show in production, you know, and I got to work with all those execs at the network we're at. I'm not going to say you can mm-hmm. see it pretty easy if you look it up um, <laughs> and all those other companies that we worked with, too, which we all know and got to see what it was like from their point. So I'm just going to give you a quick little thing. Here's an example. So we were in the middle of staffing these two shows. There would sometimes be an executive. I'm not saying any particular network where we would come together and I would every Thursday, I would get the group together who were reading the scripts with us. And I was in charge of the whole thing. And I would be like, look, so here's my list of people that I think are dope. And here's why. Right. And I break it down. And one of the executives would be like, yeah, I like them. But I mean, this is a Western and they turn into such and such a show. And I'd be like, yeah, but the theme was about this. And our theme is that they can write that. Well, I need to see a Western from I'm like, bro, you're killing oh. me. So you see what I'm saying? Mm. Because they don't the experience. Yes. Because they don't experience the fact that we are more than what you read. Right. And they don't understand that sometimes you guys know this being in rooms that and I always say this and I tried to tell them from the beginning, I don't need to see nine other you know, scripts on Westerns. I need to see how great they are on the page and can they talk to certain themes that we're looking for. I need to see who could write Mama's uh, role. I need to see who can write. We we already have Ben. We know he could do this Western. So that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for who could do, you know, we're building this team, this, 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 this uh, sports team, if you will. Right. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you guys are killing me with the way you guys think. And I would literally say that, <laughs> you know what I mean? You guys are killing me. And they're like, well, writers, I'm like, don't forget, I am one bitch. Don't even, let's not go down that road. And we would have arguments, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so- Do they think that they can only executive produce uh, a Western? Or do they think that next week they could do another, a different type of show? Of course they do. Yes. Of course. Yeah, see, that's exactly. the thing. 
Exactly, exactly the thing. Yeah. I mean, the thinking, and I just want to bring up another thing. Uh, we've talked about AI and how they would love to replace human labor with AI, how they would love to shrink down the time that we churn out our projects and yeah. overwork ourselves and get underpaid for that. But, you know, one thing I vividly remember from childhood was learning that the stars and creators of my favorite shows that were in reruns, Gilligan's Island and those kind of shows were basically struggling toward the end of their lives because they didn't have any money because it was before residuals. And that was the big fight in, in the 1960s when the television model came up. That was a strike over, correct me if I'm wrong, residuals. And it's residuals that have enabled actors and writers to maintain, most of us, a middle-class lifestyle, some more than that. But in my view, if you have a show that's hugely successful, as long as anybody is making money off that show, the creators and actors need to be making money off that show. And Aaron Paul just said he doesn't get anything from, I mean, maybe anything is an exaggeration, from Breaking Bad because of the streaming model's approach to residuals, which is pennies, literally. You get checks for right. pennies. Here's, and here's, that here's, is huge. I, I agree with you. And that has to do with how you work your contract also in the front. So here's an example. Now, we turn on the TV on any time of the day. If you just scroll through, you'll probably eventually see the Brady Bunch on somewhere. Yeah. Now, we all know growing up in the 70s that that was the top show. But I just saw something just yesterday. They was talking about how much money actors make in residuals from back then to today. <clears throat> and of course, friends in the mall making $10, $20 million a, an, a year, right? Mm -hmm. It got to Maureen McGovern, who played Marsha. She makes zero. She's mm -hmm. never made another dime on any residuals on that show because in their contract, it said something, and I'm just paraphrasing, something about nothing else in perpetuity. It was something about that. Uh. Like they only got their five, 10 grand a week or whatever they made. And maybe like little things here and there, you know, at bonus episodes. And, you know, they did their, they go to Hawaii episodes, all that stuff like that. But all that other stuff, none of those residuals, all the, can you believe that? That's nuts. I've always felt like retroactively. Yeah. And they business, tried to fight it, by the way. Business affairs should just do the right well, epic thing. Know. It's if believable it's, if, if you dang. understand that everybody everybody wants to rule the world, as the song goes. That that the only way to push back against organizations with a lot large amount of clout, like corporations, is through collective bargaining. Because right. both sides are gonna try to get as much as they can. So it's not like the unions are perfect, but they're ours. They're our monster. They're the only way we have of balancing against this other power. And ideally, you come up with something that is fair, but it's never going to per be perceived equally fair by everybody involved there. I know that the people, the artists who create deserve to, to drink from the well. We dug the well. We deserve to drink from the well. We don't necessarily own the well, but for God's sake, for, for decades later, people are enjoying your words, your thoughts, your images, but you get nothing from that. You're living yeah. in a trailer park. Mm -hmm. like, you know, it, that happens. And, and, and I, I see, I don't see how, how you would consider that fair. Crazy.
It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it's so it's so interesting. Uh, Mo Ryan, Maureen Ryan wrote about this in her book, Burn It Down, Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood, which was a, she was a previous Just guest. Just listened to it like two months ago. It's so oh, good. my gosh. She's so amazing. But the idea that Hollywood traffics in these stories, as you said, Hilliard, the underdog rising up against the powers that be, we're, we're swelling people's, we're inspiring people, we're, we're, we're creating a love with our audiences. That industry at its core is not about that at all. <laughs> not in the slight, it's almost, it's a bait and switch. It's like the protective coloration, the award shows and all that is like the bone they throw to the celebrities. They get to preen and look pretty, but at the same time, they're trying to replace them (laughs) with with AI images and all this. And I find it infuriating at this point. I'm just absolutely so mad about where we are. Where do you think we are? Is is it even possible to, to guess how long this might go on? Because as I said earlier, from a logic standpoint, I mean, you've got writers and actors on strike. That's not good. Yeah, we, we have some opinions about that, but you're closer in there. What is what is your feeling right now about what's going on with the strike? So I've said since the beginning, you know, every three years we go through this negotiation. 2000, what is it, 2000? What was it? What was the last one? 2000, 2000? Oh, you asked the wrong person. We don't know. 2018, 19, I don't know. The last one we were in, I don't know why I can't think, I can't add. And so I was like, yeah, we're not going to, they were like, are we going to go on strike? We're not going on strike right now. And the reason why I knew it is because the things that we're, that we're fighting for and asking for were, were, were things that they could be like, yeah, we'll get to that next time, which is what they always do. We'll mm-hmm. give you this and we'll talk about that in three years, right? Mm-hmm. So this time when we all came together, and here's something that happens every year that, that a lot of people don't know. And hopefully we get somebody on the board who could clarify this even more. But here's what I know. <clears throat> In essence, every time we're about to do this negotiation, they bring on a negotiating committee, right? I've, always, I've been a part of at least two or three times the committees that vote for who's going to be on the negotiating committee, right? And what happens is, they, they get together for several months and they go, okay, here are the things that we want to talk about. Now, let's put this out to the guild and you do your survey and the survey says, here are the top three things we want to talk about, right? So a lot of times, once it finally comes out that here are our top things we negotiated, everybody's like, well, what about this? And what about that? I'm like, no, bitch, it was already on there. you just missed out seeing that that was something somebody brought up. It just made it lower down to the, whatever they call Mm. it. Right. And I said, so, so you have to understand that that is those things that we have now that we're asking for. We've never asked for quite like that before. Right. It's never been things that are going to change the culture of Hollywood. If they give us those things, let's just say they gave us everything we wanted it would cause for them to make big change. Mm-hmm. It's not going to hurt their pocketbook. We already know. What are we like? Like, like what they think they said something like they pay the actors. I'm sorry, the writers is something like if you get a budget of like a hundred million dollars for a show, they pay us like, I'm just like 0.49% something. Like, it's so low mm-hmm. out of that hundred million. And I'm like, why are we the first people to get rid of? Like, it makes no sense whatsoever, right? Mm-hmm. So 
we're in a time now where, where these are the things that we're fighting against. And it's never happened before in this way where, where like everybody said, you were asking how long did I think this was going to last? I said, as soon as I read, here are top headlines. I was like, oh, this is going to be four to six months easy because they're not going to be willing to give this up. They fought for that last seven, eight years with all these mini rooms on that. You see, they keep fighting about that one mm-hmm. because they've already figured out that it works for them. Right. They don't realize now they put all these showrunners in a position to, you know, have freaking heart attacks. And, you know, what do they call it when you get anxiety? Strokes like, and anxiety. anxiety. John Singleton, Chael Hadari Coker came oh. out here and said working on his series killed him. Exactly. Exactly. And so so what do you say? He worked for like 20 something years. Yeah. And, and three years in TV. TV. Killed killed <laughs> you know, yes. You know, it's crazy. And so, yeah, and I, I absolutely totally agree with that. And I see, as you see, I'm going off on my fucking rants. So I start to go way over there. On my show, I can bring it back. On here, I just start talking. So. No, you are doing amazing. And I've learned so much just listening to you so far. So thank you for breaking it down for people who, who don't understand. I mean, it is, it's a tough fight and it will call for change. And I think even though I agree with you that it's not so much the financial issue that hangs us up, it's the power issue. The power issue it's is not the financial. Be they could do that easy. It doesn't hard to actually admit right. <laughs> that you cannot create television and film without writers and actors. I know that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Right. AMP, TP, whatever we're going to call you. I'm not calling them producers anymore. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it until I see them bitches really producing. I'm not calling. Them. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so, how long do you have? If you were going to make a projection. I have a, you know, I kind of think we're going to hear something very interesting by the end of this month. I do too. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing waivers for small companies, you know, who who come to the table. And I think that that is the perfect way to put pressure on them because they can see the cliff coming. They've got to have actors promoting their stuff by Christmas. They have to have it by award season or the small companies are going to have their actors out there and they're going to get all the awards. They're seeing, you know, the pressure has to be on them. Their their stockholders have to be complaining about now. So I'm thinking that they are not in a strong position. They are perceived, they have a negative perception in the public eye. We've we've been able to control that very nicely. So you think that that might be true as well, that we might hear something, you would kind of expect to hear something. The only reason reason why I'm echoing what you're saying, Stephen, is because this. For nearly 100 days, we didn't hear a word from them, right? And for the last 30 days, we've heard from them twice. So that's why I'm like, okay, so they're literally going every two or three weeks, we need to do something. Because as soon as they talk to us and we walk away, they get a lot of pressure from us and the press and everybody, right? The actors stand out, the showrunners who are on our side stand out because there still are some who aren't. People Mm -hmm. don't know that. (laughs) Everybody doesn't agree with what we're doing right now. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, which is, I think that's the democracy though, right? Yeah, we all don't agree. A lot of people stood out when we went against our agents, you know, three, four years ago, whatever that was. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So people didn't like that either. So mm-hmm. I think that's OK. But yes, I think we're getting closer and, and that we are having conversation. And this is something that I said also at both of my speeches 
um, when I spoke at the HBCU and when I spoke at the Latinx uh, thing, I said, something you guys have to be prepared for is this. Every three years we go through this process. We, we tell them here are the things we want, here are our demands, and we end up getting a several of them or pieces of several of them. We'll give you this, but we'll get, it's called a negotiation. It's not called a demand, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys have to separate the two. That's the thing that I understand. Having been at the Guild for so long, I get that that is a process, right? And, and you have to also understand that whatever we get will be better for those of you coming up, whatever it is. It won't right. be as good as it was back in, let's say, the 90s where you could sell million-dollar scripts, right? But those of you coming up will be better than it was two years ago. You know, whether the rooms are bigger, whether, whether staff writers are able to get scripts when they weren't before, something in the rule is going to change. It's going to allow that new writer to develop and be better. You know what I mean? So that's, we, we I almost say this, we won't get everything we want. Right. Well, and neither will they. Exactly. You know, and that's okay. A question for you, just going back to kind of the beginning, you talked about growing up in a situation where there was tremendous stress, survival stress, as well as ego stress, you know, am I okay? Am I right? And then moving in and then not graduating school and then getting into Hollywood and running these things. It suggests to me that you have had stress coping mechanisms. The problem, with, the problem with stress is, you know, stress just tells us that to get stronger. If you get too much stress, you die or you break down. So how have you managed? You've taken enough stress that you've been able to accomplish, but not so much that it has destroyed you. How do you stay on that edge? You know, what do you do? What are your stress coping mechanisms? How do you stay healthy? So first of all, this is going to be funny. And you may have heard me say this before, Tanana Reeve. Yes. I always yes. All right. First of all, I'm very insecure, right? I think a lot of us are. Yes, absolutely. I think it also because I'm a former, you know, actor and dancer and singer and stuff. So in my head, I'm always worried about how I look or whatever, right? Being a black gay man, I live in West Hollywood. Duh. Of course, I'm insecure. Absolutely. (laughs) So that keeps me going. I could be the most depressed. I bet $5 I'm going to the gym today. Most people stay in the bed. Oh, no, it's not going to happen with me. I'm going to the gym. For that hour, I'm not tripping about whatever. I come out and I sit back in the car and I go back to it. What do you do at the gym? Workout. No, but what kind of workout? I do what they call supersets. So I go from one machine, take a breath to the next, do push-ups. I almost never stop the whole hour I'm in there. Right. It's sort of like a universal machine where you shuttle blood from you know, upper body, lower body, push, pull sort of thing. Alternating. I do my entire body every day, pretty much. Yes. Mm. Yes. So you're teaching every you're day. Every wait, 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 wait. Single day. You mean seven days or five days? Seven days a week. Okay. Wow. Seven days a so week. So do you give do you let yourself wow. take a day off if you're you know when when you're feeling sore or anything like this? Or do you take that? You only day? feel I'm sore when you just day. start working out. Okay. When you're working out for 30 years, you don't get sore anymore. Okay. Okay. Because I'm work. It's like sore means your your muscles are growing. People don't know right. that, right? So here's here's a little side little note is I do this. We do these episodes at the beginning of every year for the last almost 10 years. That's how long I've been doing the show, girl. Wow. 467 episodes today. Ooh, we want to be you when we grow up. So so I do this one where I call it plan versus goals, right? So a plan 
uh, let's put it this way. A goal to me is a diet plan. A plan is a lifestyle. That's how I look at it. Mm. So every year, like I have a lot of friends who are trainers, right? So every year around from Thanksgiving through, let's say, January, February, March, February, they're making their most money because everybody has made a goal to lose weight, right? Everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they bet on signing you up for six months or whatever it is, right? And and getting all these clients at that time because they know you're only going to last for a month. And the reason is you go in, you work out, you get sore. You're like, oh, I'm too sore to go back. But in your plan, you have to be the person who goes, I'm sore in my shoulders. My legs aren't. I got to go do my legs today. Now my legs are sore. Now I could do my arms. Like you have to learn to teach yourself that. But most people are like, I'm sore. I have to let my body rest for five or six days. And then five or six days turns into 12. You see what I mean? Yes. Now, so, you know, just just on a strategic level, uh, bodybuilders will have an expression that every day is kidney day. You know, you have leg day and upper body day, but yeah. your your body's ability to to uh, purify or to transform the the metabolites, the, the waste. Yeah, you know, this from being a martial artist. I mean, so yeah. it, so it's it's a matter of of learning your body. At this point, you've been doing this all this time. You know your body. You wake up in the morning, you can feel what's going on. You can probably train instinctively. You don't need to, to write out your sets and reps. I still stretch. I still do all that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm very, very disciplined. I'm just a... You were a dancer. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's the other thing. So, like, I literally still every single, every single night. I could be out of town. I could be in a hotel. I could be anywhere. I stretch before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. And I do abs. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, when I come home from being in my office all day writing, I go go home and, you know, I make something to eat, whatever for us. And I sit down on the floor. My husband sits on the couch. I'm on the floor. And because what I've learned is, and you know this too, when you sit on the floor, you can't help but to touch your feet. Yes. It makes you want to do a couple of abs all of a sudden during a commercial. Right? Oh my no, God! You're like Steve, but wow! I like to geek out over this stuff just a little bit. There was a, a survey in in England. People they asked a bunch of trainers what do they think the ideal exercise would be that is super scalable, you know, yeah. and can be done by everybody. And one guy said something very interesting. Mm-hmm. He said, "You lay down on this on the floor and stand up again." You do that, <laughs> that, that just the process of going right. down to the floor and then back up again is working everything in your body, all your balance, all your joints and tennis, and then a Turkish getup, which might be the single greatest no impact too, in existence. Impact. Yeah. That's right. You know, you can load Excuse that so me, that an Olympic athlete let, can. Let me it. just, for people who don't speak, <laughs> Kim, okay, a Turkish getup is when, in our case, we take a kettlebell. And right. you're holding it and you go down to the ground and you get back up again. That's all. It's just getting going down and getting back <laughs> with, up with, with the with kettlebell a, held at arm's length, basically. With the weight in your hand. That's that's what um, makes it hard. So you know, it's I'm glad that you're you're doing this. So you use physical exercise to deal with the emotional stuff, the the, the fear and the sense of insecurity. You process it through your body, which is, you know, that's what it that's what you're supposed to do with emotion. Emotion is supposed I'm, to drive action. You're doing the action every day. So right. you can the emotions. What I found is this. My insecurity to other people would just be like, oh, he's so vain or insecure. Mm-hmm. But I've taken my insecurity and made it a positive. Yes. In mm-hmm. my head. 
right? Mm-hmm. So here's an example. So May 1st, so I'm, I'm also producing, so we have this big Alex Cross show that we're doing with Ben. And we're doing a companion piece, which is like a, it's almost like a digital. You're doing piece. Alex Cross? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, oh, with I've sudden, I didn't realize Congrats. that. But suddenly I'm feeling, much, I heard about the show. Yeah. But I, now I'm Alex feeling Hodge, better about it. Yeah. So oh, we're, doing, yeah. we're okay. doing a companion piece to the show where <clears throat> it's kind of like what they were doing on Quibi, where they would take like what, what would be a pilot. It's about like, say, 30 minutes long. And they break it up into six episodes. And they're like five minutes each. So, And so we're doing a companion piece to the show. We take two or three of the characters and we build this like storyline around them with all these different, you know, Easter eggs, you know, spread out throughout them. And the one we're doing right now was about how these two bad guys became the bad guy to the serial killer on the show. Hmm. And, and so I'm producing that. And so I had to turn in the scripts May 1st um, by midnight. And so I was working for the last few weeks, getting, you know, with the line producer and working everything together, working with the writers. And so I had to turn that in. And then, you know, of course, by midnight, we knew we were going to go on strike. And I woke up Tuesday the 2nd and I freaking felt like you guys know this when you're on the set. I crash. I was just numb. And I was numb until two weeks ago. Interesting. I can play. You can see me out and I'm smiling all the inside. I was just like, I have nothing. Mm. And for the first time in 24 years of being a writer, I wasn't able to write a word. Not one. And I gave hella people notes. <laughs> Read lots of scripts. I think I listened to 14 books. Like, that's who I am. I still am somebody. I can't help it. Right. So I've been doing this documentary for seven years. You guys know they take some time to do And when I started working with Ben last May, I had to bring in another writer to help me write the scripts based on the transcripts that I already started the scripts on. And so she gave me the very first, very rough cut. So the first day I got it, I sat there and I was reading and I was just kind of, you know, giving my little thoughts, my little notes and just making changes. Four pages in three, four hours it took me. You know, you're not in a space when it takes you that long. Mm. The next day I tried again, five or six pages. I'm like, eh. So then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do like 45 minutes of cardio. Let me see if that gives me some energy. So I did that, got to the office, got dressed, turned on my music. That's the other thing. Music moves me. So yes. I felt like I needed to hear some hip hop for some reason, even though my story is a surf thing. And I just put on some young Jeezy and I just went in and I looked and I looked at the page and I was like, oh, I'm on page 27. Oh, I'm on page 48. And I looked. And I looked and I snapped and I went, I'm out of it. And I started. All right. And I was like, oh, God, I'm finally out of this thing. And I started walking around. I had weights in here. I started working out. All right. (laughs) That is huge. I'm out. I'm back. That is wonderful. There is the technical aspect of this. And then there's the strategic career aspect. But how do you take care of yourself emotionally so you can survive all that? That's. I think what is discussed the least, and that's one of the things that we feel like we can give to the world is talking to people like you and getting you to help share with us. How did you survive? Yeah. And and Hilliard, it sounds like also you might've been a little burned out. And I think, I think so. I I didn't realize it. Yeah. Like a lot of people on the line really needed a break. Not that I'm saying it's a blessing. Don't get me wrong. I know people are out there struggling. I know people are having to take jobs and, 
losing. Yeah, we needed uh, a two week break. We didn't need. Yeah, a... we didn't need all this kind of break. But <laughs> and also, you you basically were able to either reinforce or learn new techniques to push yourself out of that numbness you were talking about. I, I'm all over it. Music, yes. You know, I, I create a soundtrack for every oh, yeah. major project I'm oh. working on. So if I turn that on, I'm in it. Yeah. Yeah, I like to uh, start with five times a day. Like, so let's say once every three hours, you stop and you breathe diaphragmatically for 60 seconds. Yep. If you're under major stress, do it once an hour. Just like that's 12, 15 minutes a, a, a day. It just, but, but it has to be, you don't do it all at one time. 60 seconds every hour. Deep, slow diaphragmatic breathing, as slow and as powerful as you can, as centering as you can, will rewire your body mind's response to stress. So it I doesn't mean, yeah. I do I do a slightly different version of that. Yeah, like, I bet you do. I come to work. This is when I'm writing. I come to work. I hit my alarm, and my alarm goes off in 45 minutes. I write. I have my music playing or whatever the tone is that I, I got. I'm a tone person. So I might be doing something horror and I just got to feel eerie. It's got to feel whatever. I might be doing something in the 1800s. I'm listening to minstrel music, you know, like whatever it is, I stay in that zone and the alarm goes off and I hit it. I work out for 10 minutes because it's like taking that walk. It's yes. like changing your environment. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the next thing might be something like in the sixties, I'm just hearing Motown. I'm just hearing whatever it is. Like, so I'm, I always have like four or five things going on at the same time. So that way I'm always moving forward on a project. I'm never just like stuck on one thing at once. I'm always, Ooh, I got six pages in today on that thing. Oh, I did the outline for that thing. Like I'm constantly moving forward. And do you, you typically in. shift between projects the same always. way? You usually unless, unless, I have a, unless I have a deadline or I'm doing an assignment, which I do a lot of assignment. If I'm doing an assignment, I'll just focus on the assignment. But if I'm me, I'm moving forward with three or four things at the same time. Is that a little bit like shifting, you know, when, when you're going to the gym, you know, upper body, lower body, legs? To, to some extent, what, you know, what happened is, so I have on my page, I know we're talking a lot. I know you guys want to go. I, no, have, okay. I have my script for the thing I'm doing now. I have to the right of it, the outline for the next thing I'm doing and minimize is some randoms because I've written probably 40 something scripts like you guys probably have. And so I'll just randomly pick one because who I am today is not who I was seven years, years ago when I wrote that one. Right. So I'll give it a little who I am now mm -hmm. because oh, even that's as, interesting. because mm -hmm. even as a producer, I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to a writer and they mentioned something I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Let, let me see that. They were like, well, I need probably like a month or whatever. I don't want to do that. I'm like, here's me now. Mm -hmm. Like you never have to go give me a couple of days to now. So you you go back to old scripts and you update them. The you ones that I like. The, the, the scripts that you yeah. like. So it might be 14 or 15 of those who you are that today. I think are really strong. That's that. Now there's a, there's a piece of strategy I've actually never heard. I like that. Yeah. That's great. I like that. And you know, this is the point in the, in the, in the podcast where we start telling people how they can interact with us on a more, on a, on a deeper level. If you like our philosophy and the way we're talking about writing, then you would probably like the life writing premium program, which is a, a year long program where every week you get, you get instructions. And in, we've done that for a long time at lifewritingpremium.com, but on September 23rd, Tell the us. big show. 
<laughs> the big show, huh? It has a special meaning in our relationship. I won't go into that. But the big show, you know, I love, 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 love teaching screenwriting. And I'm I'm not currently. I teach at UCLA, but I'm not teaching any writing courses. And the reason I love teaching screenwriting is because that's where I'm learning the most. So we have developed a workshop called 10 Writer's Secrets for Breaking into Hollywood, which really could be for any screenwriter at any level. But honestly, we're aiming it toward those people who are just starting out or wanting to start out. Say you're a prose writer like I was. You might have even been approached about someone wanting to option your work because this is what I would do. People would come. They would option my work. I would wait and wait and wait. And the project would die. (laughs) And then I thought, huh, maybe if I learn how to write screenplays, I can help that process along, which admittedly was a naive belief back in the day because nobody wanted writers, authors anywhere near a writer's room or anywhere near any kind of meetings having to do because they thought we were too precious. But that's changing now. And part of what Hilliard was talking about earlier is that Hollywood is opening up. It's not only opening up to marginalized creators, it's opening up to non-traditional screenwriters, people who come from playwriting, people who come from journalism are finding seats at writer's rooms. And you might be one of those people, especially if you're a prose writer and you're already creating IP, Hey, you're halfway there. So we want to do a three-hour all-inclusive toolkit, which is basically secrets for breaking into Hollywood, everything from what the heck screenwriting program do you use? How can you save money not having to invest in a very expensive screenwriting program? The general scope of it, we will modify this. The first hour is going to be writing. What is writing? What is story? What is characterization? What is theme? How do these things work? The next hour is specifically taking that and applying it to screenwriting. Now, we're going to be specific about that, the structures and you know, the software, as Sinanarif said. What is the difference thinking visually, et cetera, et cetera. The third hour is career. The how, business of screenwriting. How do you get into the business? A lot how of you... Your first entry point will be, knock on wood, a TV writer's room, or you're an assistant in a TV writer's room. But just what does that path look like? What happens when you get there? How do you network? If you see a director at a film festival, do you just hand him a script? Hell no. (laughs) Hell no, you don't. Always do it. Always. All do it. of that stuff uh, is in our workshop. As Steve said, it's September 23rd. Go to www.hollywoodloophole.com. Right. Hollywoodloophole.com. www.hollywoodloophole.com. Loophole because we'll be teaching you some hacks. And here's a special thing we want to share with you. It's $197. We don't always talk about price right up front. Let you see that as a surprise. No, it's $197. But if you can't afford that, there's an email address. Just write us, let us know. Let us know what you can pay. We'll set you up a special link. Pay what you can. Because this is We're interested in teaching. Yes. We're interested in helping people, you know, to, to go back and talk to the younger versions of ourselves. The younger version of me did not always have $197. If that's who you are, you talk to us about it, and we will make you the deal that you need to be made. This is about having people who are going to appreciate what we're doing and to love what we're doing. This is our way of paying forward to people like Brian Fuller, you know, who helped us. People like Larry Niven, who brought Rodney me. Rodney Barnes. Here. Rodney Barnes. That's right. I like it. This yes. is... This is what we love to do. And if you, would, if you would like to join us, do not let the money stop. We would love to get your money, but we it's not about money. You no. Just go to HollywoodLoophole.com. Check Come, it out. Join us. You know, yes. this is, we're going to have a party. It's going to be great, and we're going to lay it down 100%. And we, 
And we do have to cap the uh, enrollment. So don't wait. And uh, that's it. That's the end of our plug. But uh, it's so excited that you were able to join us, Hilliard Guest. Is there anything, any parting words? Where can people find you? Anything you're working on that you're allowed to talk about? I know people can't promote stuff. But but uh, what, what what where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram. Is it even called Twitter anymore? X or something? X. I'm, like, I'm a grown ass man. I ain't calling it X. I ain't gonna shitter. do that. If you put an shitter. X in front I of like it, that it, shitter it's one. Shitter. I heard that one. That was funny. <laughs> I'm everywhere, just at Hilliard Guest. Yeah, like I, I always tell the kids today, you guys have got to brand your freaking names. Everybody's at writer at such and such. I'm like, I don't remember who you are. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You should be Tarana Redo. It should be Steve Barnes. It should be whatever so you people could find you easy. Right. Why do people make up these weird names on Instagram? I'm just trying because to Because it was cool like 10 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Right. No, right. I always use my name oh, wherever yeah. I go. And just <laughs> as a general thing, I just I have to say this. When you talk to someone like Hilliard who has been there, for God's sake, listen to what he's saying. Don't listen to the opinions of people who have not been there. There are thousands of ways to not get to Disneyland. There are relatively fewer ways to do it. So when someone like, if you have a chance to tap, to listen to Hilliard's podcast or listen to him on our podcast, for God's sake, empty your cup a little bit and consider. He's been dropping wisdom. Play this back and write down the five most, the five smartest things that he said. You'll automatically move your career forward. This has been a great podcast. Thank Screen- you so much. Thank you guys. Screenwriters. Yes. All right. Screenwriters Rant Room. I was just trying to plug you because it's such a good podcast. And thank you we're, for being we're here. everywhere like you guys, you know, Instagram, I'm not Instagram, on, you know, Twitter, everywhere. You can find us. Yeah, anywhere. you can find it. And and it's for you, audience. Go out and make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.